I'm Mike Walsh, and you're listening to Between Worlds, the show that takes you over the horizon and beyond borders to bring you the global thinkers, innovators, and troublemakers whose ideas challenge the world as we know it. Okay, so show me how this works. Sure, so this is the Josh app. Uh, we're sitting here in the living room and I can say something like, you know, let's try, Josh, turn off the living room lights. Now this is the, the wonder of a podcast because now no one actually can see that the lights have very subtly dimmed. Yeah. <laughs> we're sitting in total darkness. And, and there is heavy breathing, but, but you should probably also know that's a puppy. <laughs> that is, yeah. I'm not sure why Josh is being shy for some reason, not, not speaking. Good evening, Alex. There we go. I'm, I'm sitting with uh, Alex uh, Capasalatra, and uh, he's the founder of Josh AI, which, uh, in case you didn't know, was uh, one of the most interesting startups uh, in the artificial intelligence meets home automation space. Alex, it's great to hang out. Yeah, thanks for coming over. We're sitting in his beautiful home in Beverly Hills, and uh, We've been playing around with some of his toys. He's basically got this entire house wired up so that he can tell it what to do uh, on command. Yeah. And it really feels like 2017 is the year where voice-activated controls are starting to hit mass market. Absolutely. Vo voice control, when we started this company, was an interesting speculative technology. A lot of people said, you know, I've had voice control GPS and I've tried the early versions of Siri, and it's really not that good. And people were skeptical. But thanks to Amazon and Google and, and what we've done in the luxury space, that's entirely changed. At this point, voice is almost certainly here to stay, and it's just a matter of what we're going to do with it. You know, it's, it's interesting because you mentioned luxury space. I mean, the people with money have been dumping money into home automation for, for a long time. And it's always been very difficult. I mean, you had very traditional, very expensive proprietary systems like Crestron and Lutron, and it cost a fortune, they were difficult to program, and often the, the results were a little bit unpredictable. Uh, but, it, but it feels like now that these things are now behaving a bit more like you know, web interfaces, you know, web apps, uh, rather than these more traditional control systems. Yeah, so I would say we're right at that interesting intersection between the old phase and the new phase. Historically, companies like Crestron, who make really good hardware, but their user experience software feels honestly a little lacking compared to what we see out of Silicon Valley, their typical install price is specced at about 10% of the value of the home. Wow. So if you have a million dollar home, $100,000 is what you're expected to pay. And a lot of Crestron systems are in homes that are five to $10 million and up. So these are really expensive systems, but Crestron's been around for almost 40 years, yeah. actually maybe even longer, and last year they reported about a billion five in revenue. Wow. So healthy company. Then you saw a, a really interesting change, really with Nest at the beginning, where there was this DIY, direct-to-consumer, buy it you know, in retail type products, where for a couple hundred dollars you can get a smart thermostat or smart camera, Sonos with smart speakers, and all of a sudden, you can do all this yourself, and it doesn't cost tens of thousands of dollars or more. And actually, some of this stuff you could do was actually better than the people with the $1 million home automation system. Absolutely. Is, is that because more of the intelligence was now moving into the cloud, um, as opposed to being resident on, the, on sort of the local hardware? It's a couple things. When you're looking at a company like Crestron, they're at most doing, 
I don't know, maybe 50,000 homes a year, probably not even. You know, we're talking about really small volume compared to most hardware products. Sorry, my uh, dog is being very needy right now. This is uh, Frances here trying to get some attention. <laughs> but no one can see her, so we'll try to ask her to be quiet. Um, so what happened is when you look at consumer products that are being sold retail, Best Buys and you know, the Apple stores and that stuff, it's common that you're shipping 10 to 50,000 units every month, right. not every year. And so the economies of scale really build up. And you also have companies like Amazon and Google that don't care to make money on hardware. And so buying an Echo Dot for 50 bucks, they're not making money on that. They're giving that away to get you into the ecosystem. Yeah. That's entirely different than the way this industry has been since the 80s and 90s. So, so I mean, the, I guess as, as, these, com <laughs> as these companies enter the industry, how are they going to change the design of these systems? I mean, now it's going to, you, know, you don't need to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to get a system like this. So where do, where, where do the paths diverge? So there are going to be clear winners and losers that we cannot predict today. And the thing that's interesting is companies like, or not even companies, but products like Google Home and Apple's HomePod, you know, Amazon Echo, they're doing an amazing job with voice control and, and creating a new dynamic for the consumer but they're only really penetrating, I would say, 10% of what's needed for the smart home. Right. You need easy installation, especially in big projects. You need ways to customize and have remote diagnostic tools. You know, how do you go in, in, in a house like this? That, but you can't have a Wi-Fi um, light bulb in every light bulb, right? Correct. So we're, we're sitting in a 10,000 square foot home that has 200 plus lighting loads, multiple floors. There's a lot going on. And this entire house got set up in probably 20 minutes because of the tools that we built. Right. Those tools really come out of companies like Crestron, Savant, and what we're doing. They, they're not yet being built by companies like Amazon and Google. And it's unclear whether or not they will because at the, the mass market, the average home isn't this size. It doesn't have these same problems. And so if you think about what Ferrari does versus Toyota, they're, they both have four wheels and they both drive, but they're very different features. Well, what, what do you think Amazon and Google's end play here is? I mean, because as you said before, they're, they're obviously massively interested in subsidizing the cost of the hardware. Um, and, and everyone now seems to be producing some kind of smart speaker. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 so yeah, what, what's, the, what's the real play that's going on? It's interesting when you think about what happened when the iPad came into the smart home. And I'm, I'm bringing this up because it, it gives you a hint at what might be happening with these other products. Yeah. The iPad offered a relatively low-cost, multi-purpose display that in many cases can be wall-mounted, installed by a front door, and that became the home control system for a lot of homes. And this really competed with the touchscreens that Crestron made. That were <laughs> um, sorry, my, my dog is being very, very needy, but we'll keep going. Um, so the iPad, in many ways, was a new user interface device that enabled smart home products, but it didn't take down Crestron or Control 4, these existing companies. It just enabled them. And so when you look at what Amazon's doing, they talk a lot about the voice user interface, the VUI, and the Echo really as a voice device to, to access a variety of apps and skills. And so I believe that Amazon and many others are looking at voice as the next frontier in the user interface. And as such, much like what Apple did with the iPhone and the iPad, they're not trying to create every service and every app themselves. They're trying to create that platform, that they're ecosystem. They're trying to build an ecosystem, yeah. And 
something that they announced just just this week, Amazon Key. Yep. It gave us sort of a little bit glimpse of one of the payoffs of that ecosystem, which is essentially the ability for an Amazon delivery person to be let in on a one-time basis, uh, securely into a house. Yeah, no, that, that's a really interesting aspect. The other thing too that, that's worth noting, when we started working on voice control, you were seeing movies like Iron Man with Jarvis and all of these really high-tech you know, homeowners and, and enthusiasts that were using these high-tech products. That's the way science fiction depicted it. Yeah. But the reality is voice control in the home is, is much more enabling for people that don't like technology. We have clients that are in their 70s who fumble with their phone. They don't want to open up an app, but it's easy to walk in and say, turn on the lights, play some classical music, turn off the TV. And that enabling aspect is making really the whole home tech environment simpler and easier. But you end up finding people who, who don't want technology embracing this for the first time. When you look at it that way, it does fit into this evolutionary curve of the, the abstraction of the interface layer. Uh, I mean, I, you probably remember as well, there was a time when we, we, you used to have to know DOS mm -hmm. and you have, to, you have to open up a shell window to get something very basic done. And then, you know, with, with visual computing, that just sort of went away. And, and, and in a sense, voice computing abstracts the choices even further. Absolutely. There's a really interesting Star Trek quote that I came across in the New York Times sometime in the last year where there was an example of a, a ship that had crash landed on Earth in the future. And not, not the distant future, but you know, the near future. And there was a sort of a classic computer, and one of the guys was basically talking, you know, talking to the computer, saying, you know, computer, you know, turn on, computer, respond. And finally someone went and hit some keys. And the, the quote from this was, you know, oh, you have to touch it? How how quaint. Something along those lines. <laughs> you know, voice control is very much the the future of the interface for I think most common tasks. Well, you know, one thing I've always been fascinated in is that, you know, for us it's a neat trick, and if you, for our maybe older parents, it's it's useful. But if you're a kid today, and you're growing up where your first experience of technology will be telling your house to do things, that sort of sets a benchmark of expectations of all interface interactions from then on, no matter where you are. Absolutely, it's it's amazing. We have a client out in the Hamptons, and. In, I'm not sure how much people know about my company, Josh AI, but for the last couple of years, we've been a software company that's, that has not made our own hardware. So we work with products like the Amazon Echo and the Google Home as a microphone. We're now putting out new hardware, but the result is the, con the, the concept has been Alexa, tell Josh, and then you can issue a Josh command that controls your home. Well, our client in the Hamptons, they have a couple of young kids between sort of three and five years of age. And apparently they were saying that the kids say that Alexa and Josh are best friends and they love having conversations between the two. So they build a whole narrative around the personalities. They do. And just having a male voice in this female-driven voice assistant world, it changes the whole dynamic. It's so fascinating. Yeah. I, actually, my, my, my wife instantly disliked this Alexa, I, I think, when I brought her in because she just felt that she was you know, behaving like a jealous girlfriend. Yeah, it's threatening. <laughs> it really is. She was okay when I renamed it to computer, you know, <laughs> which was the alternative wake word. But the piece that's sort of missing around all of this, I think, which is a real opportunity, is the, the machine learning layer. Absolutely. Because it's fancy to be able to, to, to tell lights to go off and on. But when these systems can start to anticipate our needs at scale, uh, that's where it gets interesting. I mean, we've seen that a little bit with the Nest, you know, the Nest learning, uh, you know, 
our movements. But where do we go from here? Yeah, no, it's a great point. This industry is often referred to as the home automation industry, but there's very little automation. <laughs> it's home control. You're pressing buttons, you're pressing switches, or you're giving a voice control command. It's, it's still lots of cables and just old-fashioned relays. Yeah, so when you think about where it's going, and this is a big area of, of R&D that my company's focused on, it's the combination of voice with learning to make for intuitive interactions. An example would be, I come home and, and I walk in the door and say, hey Josh, I'm home. And Josh has learned that when I'm home, there's certain music I like, I set the lights to a certain value based on the time of day, maybe I like to turn on the news or the weather channel, and all of that just happens because Josh has learned, my, learned from my data and my habits. Right. All of that is, is gonna be here very, very soon. It's more home orchestration rather than home automation. In a way. It, it really is. You know, another thing that, that we're excited about, I don't know how many listeners are, are avid Waze users, but if you connect Waze to your calendar, what it will do is it will look at your, your upcoming events. So for example, I was at my office before coming here in Santa Monica. It's about a 45 minute drive to get to Beverly Hills. And so Waze is monitoring the traffic patterns and 15 minutes before I need to leave in order to get here on time, it sends a pop-up saying, Make sure you get on the road in the next 15 minutes, or you're probably going to be late based on the current traffic patterns. What we want to do is take that into the home. Right. The idea is, hey, Josh, wake me up whenever I need to wake up. Josh will know, based on my calendar, when I need to be and where I need to be, how long I typically take in the morning to get ready, and it'll just wake me up at the appropriate time. Maybe even know how many times do I snooze, and therefore, wake, wake me up at 5, I snooze, wake me up again at 5.15, then at 5.30, really wake me up saying, you need to go, you have 20 minutes to get out the door. One of, one of the differences in implementation between Amazon and Google is that Google's become a bit better at identifying different users in the household. Mm -hmm. And you know, Alexa just sort of treats everyone the same. Uh, as we start getting into machine learning and, and studying behavior, people's individual personalities become more important. They, they do, and it's interesting, but a lot of this isn't even machine learning based. It's the idea that if you have different user sessions, which, which our product does, if I say play my music, which could be a pre-programmed concept of what my music is, it's very different than if my partner says to play his music. Of course. And so machine learning allows you to automate a lot of that, but even without machine learning, the system's gonna behave very differently if it knows who's speaking. And that's something that, as you mentioned, Google's been doing for, I think, close to a year now. It's not fully baked, it's still a little problematic, but it's there. And Amazon, I think, two weeks ago announced a very similar feature. Right. As this stuff essentially gets more baked into software, do you feel like the role of the, I guess, the home integrators is going to change as well? It, uh, because uh, a lot of the coding layer starts to be essentially move off into the cloud. Yeah, so it's, it's already changed dramatically. I would say 10 years ago, the home integrator, the home professional, uh, home technology professional, their main revenue stream was upselling hardware. They yeah. would sell you a flat screen TV for $5,000 where their margins were 50 points on that. Typically in, in the high-end industry, 50 points is what they bake into these $20,000 speakers and audio video matrix switchers. That model changed really when Amazon started selling these high quality TVs direct to consumer. Yeah. And you can go to the store and you can buy Sonos, you can buy Nest, and therefore your integrator can mark up the price too much or, or you'll know. And so the model started moving away from making money on hardware to making money on service. And at the high end of the market, this is really important because a homeowner might have multiple homes 
And when they go to the beach house for the first time on July 4th weekend and something doesn't work, they're paying for a service plan so that an integrator is gonna be there within hours and fix that problem right then and there no matter the time of day. And so the model's definitely moving away from selling on hardware to selling on service. But as you say, there used to also be hours and hours of programming that were built. You know, for a Crestron home, you might build 20 hours of Crestron programming for a normal home. These days, the programming is going way down. So it, it really is becoming much well, more... The, the hard piece in a way is not so much the programming, it's the, the lifestyle design. Uh, I mean, it's coming up with interesting ideas. Uh, I mean, one of the things I, I did when I had my place organized was I had geofence set up so that, you know, the minute I um, leave the house or even come back within a certain proximity, it spins up the lights, the boiler switches on when I, when I land in the country. Yeah. You know, so you, there's a whole kind of set of actions which, you know, you actually need someone to kind of say, how do you live and how do we design an algorithm that, that matches that? Absolutely. Um, I'll just show you really briefly. I know. The viewers can't see, but... Uh, you can describe. <laughs> yeah, so I've got the Josh app here, and one of the things that, that's really powerful with a home automation system is the idea of scenes, to yeah. orchestrate a bunch at once. And, so, and we can see on this picture, so you've got like uh, some different uh, triggers here, like goodnight courtyard. Are these pictures live, actually, from a nest? Yeah, so um, what we're looking at are live cameras, and this is really important as a, as a home control system beyond just voice because you want to see what's going on. When we have guests, I want to be able to let them in, know what's happening. But over here, I have an I'm home scene. In this scene, for example, it's triggering a keypad, so it's not necessarily all that interesting. But if we go over here to create a scene, and let's, let's pretend that the scene we want to create is something like, how about Alex time? I don't know what it does yet, but just, my name's Alex, here's Alex time. And let's have Alex time set all the lights in the entire house to sort of a nice dim. We'll kind of bring it down to about 40%. And then I'm a big classic music person. I love Chopin. So let's have Chopin play in the entire house. So in real time, I'm just setting this up right now. I'm selecting on Spotify to play Chopin. So let's bring that in. And so Frederick Chopin. So with this, I now have a scene that will set my lights, play Chopin. I can then go in and easily configure multiple voice commands to activate this. Right. So I can add, Alex is here, play my music, get the scene ready, uh, you know, get the house ready for me, any of these commands. Plus I can go and add custom responses. So I can have Josh respond saying, you know, welcome home Alex, here's Chopin. And all of that makes for a very natural and very sort of emotionally it, it, fulfilling experience. Is this essentially what Mark Zuckerberg did with his house? This is <clears throat> what Mark Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg did. <laughs> Um, times 10 and and done in a way that's that's scalable and productized right yeah because I mean he from what I understand he, he just built on top of a Crestron system and you know got got famous actor to vocalize it <laughs> yeah so you know for example one of the big things he talks about there which is very true is the ability to, to text a command rather than speak a command so here in the app for example I could say you know let's do dim the lights Right, because sometimes you, you don't want to have to vocalize something, right? Yeah, so the idea is rather than interrupting if someone's sleeping or if you're in the middle of a conversation as we are, so I say dim the lights in the living room, which is where we are. Right, so you've actually sent a text to the system. Yep, and so Josh dimmed the lights, responded here saying now dimmer. So the idea is when you're building a voice-controlled system for the home, you can't forget about the fact that at 2 in the morning, you don't want to have to blurt out a speech, you know, mm. speech command. You want to be able to type... 
some cases you want to have automated scenes that are geo-triggered or... But you also want to learn from other people's scenes. And, and this is one of the things that, you know, that I've been fascinated with. with the, is it, it's IF... Uh, TTT. TTT. Yep. Because you've got a whole sort of community of enthusiasts who've built recipes for automating all kinds of random stuff from, you know, getting your coffee machine to turn on to, you know, doing that and posting something to Instagram at the same time. Um, so you, 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 when you combine a, a huge user base of recipes with a machine learning algorithm that can start to suggest things to you based on similar users, it starts to become quite interesting. No, it really does. I, I think that whole notion is, is really important moving forward. You know, one of the things that our system is doing running in the background, sort of back to the machine learning idea, is the system is understanding the state of the entire house at any moment. So right now the system knows that the lights in this room are dim, there's no music playing throughout the house, the front gate is closed, the garage doors are closed. But what it does is it starts to track when the garage doors open, what happens next, and does it happen based on the time of day? Right. And all of that data feeding in is where it's starting to get smart. For example, my garage opens through a hallway into the kitchen, and so after the garage opens, I always end up turning on the kitchen lights and closing the garage door. The system will now automate and automatically close the garage and turn oh, on the kitchen so, lights. So that's already happening now? Oh, yeah. Right. So it starts to just observe the sequences of actions and then anticipate your needs. Yep. The thing though, and this is really important when you look at what Nested, is to not learn the wrong things. Right. We've had cases, even in this house, but lots of our customers have told us where a guest will be over and it'll be warm, so they'll set the thermostat all the way down to 50 because they think that's going to make it get down quicker. The reality <laughs> is it learns that 50 is what the, the person set it to, right. and all of a sudden it gets set to 50 every day at 3 o'clock. So our approach is confirm with the user when you've learned something and you want to automate it, you meaning Josh, have the user opt in, have the user agree that, huh, yes, I do turn on the kitchen, let me agree that Josh should automatically do that. Right, so it's sort of, it's sort of machine learning with permission. Exactly. This is actually an interesting insight for machine learning across a variety of different applications because I think one of the biggest problems at the moment is that these systems become black boxes of, of, of actions and responses. I mean, they come up with a solution. We don't actually know how they've got there or how to interrogate or audit it later. It's sort of the neural network paradigm, or rather paradox. You can train a neural network to identify photos of cats, for example, but you don't really know how it's doing that. That's, no. that's sort of the weird thing about deep learning today. And when your home or your environment starts to learn things that you don't feel like you have control over, the first thing you want is to get rid of it. You know, we've had clients literally throw Nest thermostats away because they didn't know how to disable the learning. So we want to be really careful and, and sort of ease our clients into the AI aspect. And that's where voice control and sort of the app control is still really important. Uh, to come full circle on, on this discussion around you know, what's in it for Amazon and Google, you, you made a comment earlier when we were chatting around, uh, this, is, this is really just an extension of the fact that the house today is the computer. Yeah, so when we were chatting earlier, I was mentioning that Bill Gates had that famous quote of wanting a computer in every home. But today, the reality is every home is becoming a computer. You know, I have 300 network devices here that are all part of this ecosystem. And so how does that become valuable and useful? That also raises the big issue of security. Um, and I think we've seen in, in the last 18 months uh, with more and more attacks on the Internet of Things that not only are manufacturers incredibly negligent when it comes to managing security settings, the sheer complexity of, of homes in the future is going to make it very hard for consumers to lock it all down? You know, it's a, a double-edged sword. So on the one side, a lot of manufacturers have built unsecured products because 
they really haven't needed to secure products. What I mean by that is if you're using a Sonos system in a house, there's no password behind it because you have to be on the network. Well, the reality is I've been in, for example, a spa that had a Sonos system and when you connect on the network, you can change that music and that's kind of a bizarre thing to do, but it's totally possible. All of that is improving and getting better. The flip side though is the security I have of this home being that I can open the app from anywhere in the world, I can lock the doors, I can see in the cameras what's going on, and Josh will actually notify me if there are things happening that, that I've sort of told it to let me know about. I actually feel much more protected than if I didn't have the technology, especially when you think about how easy it is to break a window and you know, manually get into a place if there is no tech. Right, so it's just, it just requires a different approach to security essentially. It does. It does also require thinking very thoroughly about what devices are you putting in, who are those manufacturers, and... And where are the cameras? Yeah, but it's also <laughs> one reason that I, stu I still do believe that professional integrators are highly, highly valued. Hmm. They, they understand a lot of this way more than the homeowner who thinks about this once you know, every five years at most when they're building a home or setting up a home. Integrators who are installing every day they know these vulnerabilities, they're remote monitoring, they're tracking, this is part of their business. And the clients that we work with, these are big time Hollywood celebrities and business owners. These, these are very, very secure homes. So a lot of the breaches we see are really more around the low cost, mass market, DIY type products, but the professionally installed products do have a better level of security these days. You know, we, we, we've seen before in the enterprise space the consumerization of things like chat and other technologies then entering, the, you know, the, the, I guess, daily work practice. Do you think as people get used to this idea of interacting with their homes, you know, using voice commands and, and with this level of orchestration, that this will also flow into the, in, into the work environment? They will expect to have a similar level of automation and orchestration. Absolutely. So we get approached about all sorts of hospitality clients and hotels, enterprise clients with businesses, even hospitals. And if you think about hospitals, for example, you have someone who's in a hospital bed, they might be immobile, and it might be too hot or too cold. Maybe they want to open or close the blinds because of the we sun We even position. have doctors you know, who, who, who are trying to keep something sanitary and they, they want to be able to record something and, and you know, control something. Exactly, so the idea of voice control for the devices around you, it, it will make sense for almost every application, I think shy of airplanes. We, we've been approached <laughs> by big airlines wanting to know about putting something like Josh into every passenger seat in a commercial plane. And I'm saying everything's within your arm's reach. That's the worst case for voice control. Oh, it sounds about as good idea as letting people make uh, phone calls on planes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So where do we go to next? Uh, I mean, where, where, once we get the mass adoption of these sort of technologies, um, voice control gets a little bit more intuitive. Uh, What's the next horizon for, for sort of sophisticated home automation? There are quite a few different things at play right now. One of them, especially around the voice control aspect, is the idea of who's gonna win this space. Is this gonna be much like the cell phone market where you have iOS and Android really dominating? Or is this gonna be more like the traditional home environment where the manufacturer of the chair I'm sitting in is different than the manufacturer of the rug and the windows. You have an LG TV with a Samsung Blu-ray player. And exactly. So my, my suspicion is the, the smart home is not a winner-take-all market. However, companies keep trying to do that. Right. You know, there are all these closed ecosystems and you know, sandwall-type environments. I think we're going to get to a point where there's going to be more of an open communication-type you know, protocol where devices are really 
actually you know interconnected and and able to talk to one another without without having to hack together solutions you know your tv will actually talk to your lights and your thermostat and your garage it's going to take i think years to get there i don't think it's happening in 2018 but by 2020 i think that's a, a reality but 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 i think one of the consequences of all the devices talking to each other is to some extent they become commoditized and the real value lies in whoever owns the information around the user behavior absolutely this is this is a software play yeah across the board it's it it's going to be soon a couple years um, where we'll see the average IoT device cheaper than the non-IoT version, the smart lock cheaper than the regular lock, the smart light bulb cheaper than the regular light bulb. Is that because of the information that they can, the value of the data that they gather? It's, it's the value, it's what happens when you mass market these products, it's the fact that everything from the integrated circuit board to the Wi-Fi chip, it's all getting cheaper, it's coming down in cost. And companies, you know, these manufacturers want to be at the leading edge. They want to offer a user experience that is actually delightful and, and making people's lives better. And that's what IoT really brings. There's, there's a vision of hell, I think, as well, is when, all, when all this super complicated stuff just doesn't work. I, did you ever read that Philip K. Dick book called uh, Ubik? I did not. Uh, it's, it's a, I mean, it's one of his lesser known, but it's one of those books which they say after you read it, you're basically permanently paranoid. But everything in that story demands money to be used. Like the door won't open until he's put in 10 cents. The window won't open. It's kind of like... It's like it's a Black Mirror episode. Well, it's like... A, it's, yeah, it is. But it's almost like he's taken blockchain and he's applied it to the Internet of Things in a, in a home and told you just how bad that would be. Yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> so there, there's a really interesting book called Life 3.0 by Max Tegmark. He's a oh, yeah, MIT yeah. professor. Yeah, it's on my, my reading list. Yeah, so he's one of the, the few very optimistic futurists who paints a picture of what the human AI sort of hybrid of the future will look like. And it can certainly go down a number of dark paths, but it can also go down some really good positive directions. So I highly recommend that book, but I believe the future is very bright, to be honest. Well, we can certainly tell, we can certainly tell Josh to make it a little brighter, if not. <laughs> Listen, Alex, it was really great to meet you. It was great to play with uh, your uh, personal AI. Um, I, I want to put it in my house. Cool. Let's do it. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show. Awesome. Thank you. You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com slash betweenworlds.